In preparing for this presentation, I got the fun experience of getting to prepare without having access, direct access to all the wonderful resources at MHS. And I'm really thankful for all the digitization work that I and a number of other people did <laughs> because I was still able to do this. As Natasha mentioned, one of the projects that I worked on was the, the digitization of the Montana State Prison Records. And during that, I noticed a lot of interesting records, and some of them looked like that. Then, as I kept going, I noticed a, a few more, and then I started looking for them and found quite a few. <laughs> and so what that is, is that is the description of a crime that includes um, a reference to bootlegging, but the criminal there was not a bootlegger. Instead, he committed a crime against a bootlegger. And one of the other interesting things I noticed is that it didn't always just say a bootlegger. It would say John Carlasco, a bootlegger. <laughs> or it would have an address. And so, and I, I looked for John Carlasco in the prison records, and he wasn't there. But the guy who forged a check on him was. <laughs> <laughs> and so it kind of raised some questions. Uh, for me, it's, you know, you know, how did one criminal wind up in Deer Lodge while the other apparently got to walk free? And how was it that, you know, Deer Lodge was printing out this information so the officials clearly had it, um, but did they do anything with it? Was, was it just the officials at Deer Lodge that knew? Um, and so I kind of started, that's my jumping off point for this presentation. And to, to really understand it, you kind of have to go back to the start of Prohibition, um, the enactment of Prohibition here in Montana. Um, so we were ahead of the game. Uh, Montana voters in Montana approved uh, Prohibition in November of 1916, and it went into effect the beginning of 1919. Um, most of the there, there was kind of a divide uh, who supported Prohibition, who didn't. Cities were uh, not for prohibition. The west side was against it. East and, er, eastern and rural areas were the main supporters. A um, few years later, um, 1919 is when um, the Volstead Act was uh, passed and national pro prohibition went into effect January 17th, 1920. And national prohibition, uh, the Volstead Act, outlawed uh, manufacture, importation, sale, and transport of alcohol, uh, but not ownership or consumption, which uh, led to the little bit interesting uh, activity in that people who could afford it uh, just went out and bought a lot and stockpiled it, and people who couldn't didn't. Um, so, uh, once again, ahead of the game, uh, Montana got sick of prohibition. Um, they, they were done with it by mid, the mid-20s. Um, and the referendum to repeal it uh, passed in November 1926 uh, by 53.3% of the vote. And once again, uh, 
rural areas support prohibition, urban areas didn't, um, but just the, there were more areas that, more counties that voted to repeal. Um, not prepared to admit defeat, the Dries in 1928 pushed a refer referendum to enact the Federal Volstead Act into state law um, so that they, it would be enforced. Um, and that referendum failed and Montana remained without a state dry law. Which, uh, which meant that all of the, uh, the local officials, the, the state, dry, uh, state dry agents, just, they were gone. They didn't, um, they weren't doing anything. Well, the local officials could if they wanted to. Um, but mainly enforcement of the dry laws was now up to federal agents, which was a relatively small force. And uh, as uh, Carl Jackson, uh, prohibition administrator for the Northwest, put it, uh, because Montana has no state dry law, there's no cooperation on the part of local authorities. Not entirely true. There was some cooperation on the part of local authorities, but it depended on the authorities. Um, there was a little bit of confusion after that repeal. Um, so state repealed the, the liquor law, but once again, um, the, the federal laws were still in effect. And so um, the, there, there were some people that may have thought that alcohol was legal, that they could buy and sell and drink in public. To the, They could actually technically drink, they just couldn't buy or sell or transport it. Um, or manufacture it, I should also add. Um, some of the dries, interestingly enough, remained optimistic. There was a, one article I found in the Alzada paper that suggested that, uh, that, that this was, the repeal was actually a good thing. Um, that now uh, anyone who violated the laws would be tried in front of a federal judge who would be much less likely to be uh, sympathetic to them instead of a local jury. Um, as they, they put it, violators of the 18th Amendment are going to find the going rather rougher than ever, and as a, for enforcement officers, the number will be found to be adequate. It wasn't. <laughs> Spoiler. Um, eventually, also, um, the nation as a whole grew weary of, the, um, of prohibition, and the uh, Colin-Harrison Act uh, legalized uh, the consumption of beer um, or legalize the sale of beer um, up to 3.2% uh, alcohol by weight or 4% by volume in Mar March of 1933, um, and then uh, completely repealed uh, the 18th Amendment December uh, 5th, 1933. Um, interesting to note that, uh, at least according to one newspaper, the first bar to legally serve uh, alcohol, <laughs> legally serve beer over the counter. Um, was Walker's in Butte. Um, and I say legally because uh, they also boasted 24-hour uh, service for 35 years. Um, so <laughs> what they were serving before that. Yeah. So um, moving on there. Um, Butte and Anaconda were notoriously open. 
Um, the, everybody knew that the, you could get alcohol there. It wasn't a secret. But much of the state uh, was still wet. Um, ta speaking of one, of one Butte bar that he visited, uh, Special Agent B.H. Tingle noted, the back of the bar on the shelves in plain view were bottles labeled as containing Canadian whiskeys of various brands. They were operating in a wide open fashion with no apparent fear of being molested and asked us, strangers, no questions when we ordered drinks. People were coming and going, drinking whiskey and beer at the bar, the same as in pre-prohibition days. Practically the same conditions were found to exist in other places mentioned as visited and at which places purchases of liquor were made. It would appear that they were operating either with the consent or connivance of local officials or an absolute open defiance of the law. Um, and then Carl Jackson, um, in a quote published in a newspaper article, stated, they just don't know what prohibition means in Butte. <laughs> um, our recent visit, he found uh, that previous attempts at closed bars had failed because as soon as the operators posted bail, uh, they went right back to serving alcohol uh, with a, a plank put across a couple of uh, barrels or whatever they had handy to serve out of. Um, and that when they were confronted by prohibition agents, they simply handed over the goods. <laughs> you know, handed them over like it was no big deal because likely they knew that they would be back out selling again in two hours. Um, and the, while the disobedience may have ramped up, um, it was not something new. Um, the Great Falls newspaper noted that uh, 10 people Monday night carried their celebration of the closing of saloons to a point that made necessary their detention in the police station. And of those, none were charged with offenses more serious than drunkenness. So the very first day that uh, the prohibition laws were in effect in Montana, um, there were violators. <laughs> um, I have myself here. But there's, um, so there were kind of several distinct classes looking at this. Um, there were of people who were violating the prohibition laws. Um, First off, there were just the home brewers, the, you know, little operations, you know, somebody in their basement, um, either for their own consumption or that of a small circle of family and friends. Um, then there are more large-scale bootleggers who operated operations varying in size. Um, one, one raid netted skill, uh, stills uh, ranging in size from 30 to 280 gallons. Um, and another found an operation that was so advanced that it inc even included uh, labels for the bottles. Um, beyond that, there were also the rum runners um, who often would go up to Canada where liquor alcohol was still legal, um, buy a load and transport it down. Um, there's the, the bootlegger trail that ran kind of down by Bozeman, uh, down by, sorry, down by Great Falls. Um, and they could make it all the way to Butte. Um, and they took full advantage of county lines and such to avoid the uh, prohibition agents. Um, and then, of course, there were the, the various uh, speakeasies and places that alcohol was served, which 
may have brewed their own or may have purchased it either from the runners or another bootlegger. Um, and um, they may have been back rooms, they may have been in um, houses of prostitutions, brothels, um, or a couple of popular fronts included uh, soft drink parlors and pool halls. My favorite newspaper article there. Um, so, even when prohibition laws were passed, there was a significant, significant minority of the public who opposed them. Um, obviously, places like Butte and Anaconda, but ranging. Um, and so, that article, um, by the way, is talking about how uh, a federal judge ruled that agents could seize um, barroom fixtures, uh, you know, the, the bar itself, any nice stools, um, mirrors, whatnot. Um, and uh, the, the quote here um, reads, Tuesday, the heavy mahogany bars, the big mirrors, the old-time oil paintings and polished brass footrails were being moved from many a saloon to a place in storage. Thus, Butte will become conventional as liquor dispensing if it isn't exactly law-abiding. As one bartender put it, here we've been trying to run joints that were something like the places in the old days and make things seem home-like to the boys. Now the government says it can take our things, our bars and things. Well, that just means that Butte's going to be just like the other towns. Instead of places that are cheerful and well-furnished, the town's going to have joints like those in the east back rooms that, where someone deals off the hip. Um, and so this uh, was out of a Billings newspaper, um, not the actual Butte newspaper. Billings seemed to, to enjoy reporting what was going on in Butte. Um, and went on to uh, assure the public, the, the reporter did, that the bars, even those that were closed, would be open in a few days once they'd moved all the expensive furniture out and replaced it uh, with furnishings that they wouldn't miss so much if they were confiscated. <laughs> um, but there were um, still those who supported uh, the prohibition. Um, and so there was some divide, even in gauging public opinion. Um, officials there were several officials who argued that you know they couldn't enforce the liquor laws because the public wasn't behind them and didn't support them. Um, and others who argued that you know the enforcement um, of prohibition laws is a failure on the, of the lack of more um, all right, sorry, that it was a failure of imagination, that they just needed to you know enforce them, you know work harder um, and they would win the public over. Um, but that's one of the actual leading causes um, of the, the public's um, growing distaste for prohibition was the enforcement itself. Um, depredations by enforcement agents, either real or perceived, were some of the, the leading causes. Um, and uh, some of my favorites come out of the Helena newspapers um, where uh, prohibition agents were openly mocked as in the case where they arrested a man 
uh, who they suspected of being a uh, bootlegger. Uh, quote, uh, for, uh, as the, the paper put it, two brave prohibition agents captured two packages of popcorn Thanksgiving evening. Um, they, <laughs> thinking, the, thinking that they were on to something, they jumped onto the running boards of the car as the man was driving away, um, make, making him swerve violently and nearly hitting some people, uh, pulled him over, put him in jail, and then when they realized their mistake, uh, charged him, uh, fined him $5 for uh, danger, uh, for um, reckless driving. <laughs> um, another, and I, Levi, if you can't read the, the headline there, the headline to that article is why they are, reads, why they are despised of men, um, and goes on to relate a uh, story from, I believe this was San Francisco, um, reprinted in the Helena Independent, um, where agents allegedly went to raid a house belonging to um, a woman they thought was making wine. Uh, while she was away from the house, um, they got her five-year-old to let her let them in. Didn't find any, except for a tiny bottle of sacramental wine, um, presumably um, as a given as a gift or brought as a souvenir uh, from Italy. And, which they, they decided was enough, so they took the child to the police station so that they could arrest the mother when she went to pick her up. Um, this is an unverified story. Um, it you know, came from San Francisco and reprinted it and all that way. It, it kind of gives you an idea of the, some of the, the stories that were being fed to the public and why sentiments might not have, not have been uh, favorable for prohibition. In fact, uh, Great Falls citizens organized a Liberty League um, for the purpose of guarding uh, their constitutional rights of the citizens of the city and vicinity from alleged illegal activities by dry agents or men pretending to be prohibition agents. They, they didn't really make a distinction there. Uh, after there have been several holdups by men claiming to be prohibition agents. Um, another of the big factors um, was the economic downturn, which of course hit Montana earlier than the rest of the country. Um, and um, cities that might have been doing okay without the extra tax money that they could make from uh, selling alcohol weren't doing so well now um, and really could have used that money. Um, so the official response kind of depended on the town um, and depended on who was in government. Um, there were some some mayors who were accused of being in league with the bootleggers, um, of uh, frequenting the speakeasies, and there were some who were still very much uh, interested in cleaning them all up. Um, in one instance, a, uh, a conscientious citizen uh, contacted prohibition agents, uh, the federal agents, and tried to convince them to help, you know, clean up he, you know, he, he was certain he had some, some people that they could arrest, and eventually the agents had to tell him that the uh, methods he was using, um, in which he was going to approaching the people and trying to entice them into committing a crime, uh, would not stand up in court and that he would not participate. 
Okay. Um, others turned a, a blind eye um, that they, you know, they were not required to enforce the laws. And as one uh, federal agent noted, um, a failure to enforce prohibition laws did not constitute a conspiracy to break the laws. Um, so they, you know, the, the town didn't want to force them. They, they, they couldn't make them. Um, but also, they, uh, they, the prohibition agent, the federal agents, while they did conduct frequent raids, um, were most interested in instances of widespread conspiracy. Um, so thus when um, it was William H. H. Clark couldn't, um, couldn't prove to the agent that there was, you know, a real conspiracy to to import uh, alcohol and break the prohibition laws in Kalispell, it, it wasn't worth his time, and that's what he reported back to his superiors. Um, and some saw financial op opportunities in breaking the law, or wor working not so much against the bootleggers. Um, there were several towns that instituted a uh, policy whereby um, bootlegging or running a speakeasy um, or saloon or any any establishment like that didn't they weren't all you know completely underground um, was classified as a public nuisance and then um, they could periodically round up all these uh, people violating the uh, public nuisance laws and find them and it served as an informal tax on the uh, bootleggers and bar, runners, bar operators. Um, federal agents kind of approach this differently depending on the case. Um, for instance, in Kalispell, um, the agent investigating decided that the, the town was, you know, their intent was good. They were you know they were trying. They were they were trying to to convince people not to to break the law. Um, and any okay, so anyone anyone who was sent to a to the federal judge, he was in Great Falls and would have been too sympathetic. Um, others they were less less understanding of, and so the uh, police chief in Great Falls actually ended up being fined a thousand dollars after they decided that the operation he was running. Uh, ran afoul of the law. So, um, yeah, breeze through this some really quickly. Um, going through the records, I found about 40 um, that uh, for people who are arrested for committing a crime against a bootlegger, um, burglary, robbery, law passing forged checks, um, and they would all. Uh, were sent to the state prison between 1927 and 1934. So if you'll remember, uh, the state liquor law was repealed in 1926. So that's, that was one of the first interesting things I found. The other uh, that I found is that there were only 38 people who were sent to the state prison for violating the liquor laws themselves. Um, so uh, there's a couple things that this may mean. Uh, the bootleggers may have just been fined 
um, while the others, while the um, the robbers and the the forgers were sent to the prison, um, they may have sp spent time in uh, in the city or county jails, um, or officials may have just been more lenient. Um, so I'm gonna finish up here really quick by going over a couple of the cases. Oh, and one other thing I should note um, that the the evidence was provided for these uh, crimes, the, the mentions of the bootlegging were provided by the prisoners themselves. So that uh, their uh, that record is for somebody who committed assault, I believe it was in uh, yeah in Harlem. Yeah. And uh, but couldn't remember any of the details because he was drunk at the time. <laughs> so the first uh, here that I want to cover is the uh, burglary of Frank Heron's residence. And uh, there were six people involved in that. Um, Harold and John Belgard, Adam Weber, Paul, whose last name I'm not even going to attempt, uh, Homer Hodges, and Ray Mo Roy Morrow. Um, they actually beat Heron um, he required stitches and stole uh, some out, uh, I think it was uh, beer and wine. Um, and so they were all then hauled in. Um, three of them got off with uh, fines and which they uh, spent time in the city jail in lieu of paying the fines. Um, the two bell guards and Weber went to Deer Lodge. Um, so in arguing in presenting the case, the defense for the two bell guards um, tried to argue that because they had stolen alcohol, um, which was not legal property, um, they could not be charged with larceny. Um, the judge, Judge Horsky, disagreed, <laughs> and they were charged with larceny. Um, in closing, uh, the their defense um, argued for lenience on the grounds that they were young, drunk, and had lost their father. The prosecution argued uh, that for the safety and protection of property owners who were entitled um, to no repetition of such an escapade. Um, and at least John had a previous criminal records. So I think the jury sided with uh, the prosecution and they went off to Deer Lodge. And then, really quickly, the second one here I want to highlight um, is the uh, holdup of a uh, soft drink parlor in Butte. Soft drink parlor. Um, <laughs> by Richard Nielsen, William Armstrong, and Eddie Moreau, um, Monroe. Uh, apparently, the trio had stopped in for drinks, spent some money, decided they wanted it back. One of them pulled out a gun. Uh, took, uh, robbed the, the cash register, um, may or may not have taken money from some of the other patrons. Um, in this case, also, the uh, establishment was identified. It was number two, West Galena, in Butte. Um, and now, in both cases, the newspapers clearly knew that um, in John Heron uh, was making alcohol that they were serving. Um, neither referred to them as bootleggers. It was only in the prison records. Um, if you read the newspapers, John Heron was a fine, upstanding citizen. 
as far as they were concerned. Um, and this was just a, a normal soft drink establishment, except that the uh, burglars had been in there for over an hour and somehow in that time managed to get drunk. Um, <laughs> who knows where the alcohol came from? <laughs> All right, so I'm going to wrap it up here. Um, Impartial answer to my question, yes, uh, the federal authorities did know. It wasn't a secret that any of these places uh, were serving alcohol or making it. But there were, they were limited in what they could do. And so it, it was just kind of an open secret. And um, you may not be able to read all that because it's pretty small. Um, round about the middle there is the number two, West Galena, and about a third. <laughs> They're there. All the other addresses on West Galena that were suspected of uh, serving alcohol or brewing.